grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. for this fourth Sunday after Pentecost is found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 17. This is what the Lord God says. I myself will take part of the tip of the cedar and plant it. From the topmost of its shoots I will pluck off a tender sprig, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the high mountain of Israel I will plant it, It will produce branches, bear fruit, and become a magnificent cedar. Flying birds of every kind will live under it. In the shelter of its branches, they will nest. Then all the trees in the countryside will know that I, the Lord, bring down the high tree and raise up the low tree, that I make the green tree dry up, and I make the dried-up tree blossom. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will carry it out. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle lesson is found in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Now we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal home in heaven, which is not made by human hands. In fact, the reason we groan is that we long to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. If we do indeed put it on, we will certainly not be found naked. To be sure, while we, were, while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who prepared for us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as the down payment. Therefore, we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. But we are confident and would much prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And for this reason, we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home or away. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he did while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the word of our God. The Holy Gospel according to Mark chapter 4, beginning at the 26th verse. Jesus is speaking. He said, The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground, and while he sleeps and rises, night and day, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The ground produces fruit on its own, First the blade, then the head, then the full-grown grain in the head. 
when the crop is ready, he swings the sickle without delay, because the harvest has come. Then he said, to what should we compare the kingdom of God, or with what parable may we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is one of the smallest of all the seeds planted in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many similar parables, he continued to speak the word to them as much as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's word for our consideration this morning, the psalm of the day, which we sang earlier, we hear it in its entirety, Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your mercy in the morning and your faithfulness every night, with a ten-stringed instrument and with a harp, with a melody on a lyre, Yes, you make me glad by your work, O Lord. I sing loudly at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The senseless man does not know, and the fool does not understand this. When the wicked spring up like weeds, and all evildoers bloom like flowers, they will be destroyed forever. But you are exalted forever, O Lord. Without a doubt, your enemies, O Lord, without a doubt, your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. But you have raised my horn like that of a wild ox. I am drenched with fresh oil. My eyes have looked in triumph over my adversaries. When evildoers rise against me, my ears hear their defeat. The righteous will shoot up like a palm tree. They will grow tall like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will shoot up in the courtyards of our God. They will still produce fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Yes, they can proclaim the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and he does no wrong. This is the word of our Lord. Dear fellow redeemed sons and daughters of God Most High, brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever played tic-tac-toe? I'm sure for many of us it's been a long, long time. It's a children's game, right? Now, maybe as parents, or grandparents, or maybe great-grandparents, would play the game. And you know there's only two sides to tic-tac-toe, right? You're either an X or you're an O. There's no other choices. There's no other squiggles. There's no other shapes. There's no third party. You're either an X or you're an O. 
it's the same in chess. A more advanced game to be sure, but still there's only two sides. You're either black or you're white or checkers. A little bit more of a simpler game, but more advanced than tic-tac-toe. You're either the red checkers or you're the black checkers. There's no in-between. You're either one or you're the other. And so it is with this psalm, and so it is in God's view of things. You're either righteous or you're wicked. There's no middle ground. There's no sitting on the fence. Righteous or wicked. And in this psalm, and in all of Scripture, we see how God deals with the two sides. And there's only two sides. These are the righteous or they're wicked. And if you're sitting there in the chairs this morning, and if you're sitting there thinking, boy, the preacher's really going to give it to those wicked, well, I'm going to tell you, like my very patient Hebrew professor told me back in Northwestern, Mr. Pratt, think again. Because at one time, we were the wicked. All mankind, at one time, was the wicked. Because as David says in Psalm 51, verse 5, which we sang last Sunday, it was the Psalm of the Day last Sunday, certainly I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Now that particular verse of Scripture is a keystone for many doctrines, but one of them is this. You and I didn't start out as holy and sinless. We were sinful from birth. Sinful even before we were born, before we took our first breath. David says we were sinful from the time our mothers conceived us. From the point of conception, we deserved God's wrath. There's no two ways about it. God hates sin. Now, back in Genesis 1 and 2, it didn't start out that way, did it? We also heard last Sunday how God created the universe in six 24-hour days. And God created it holy and sinless and perfect. And he created Adam and Eve holy and sinless and perfect. But it didn't last that long. Adam and Eve were without sin. And God walked with them before the fall into sin and before he called into account. He walked with them in the cool of the day, as was his habit. But then sin happened. And then after that, Adam and Eve started having children. And they were born, not in the likeness of God, as Adam was created, but in the likeness of Adam, who now was sinful. And every person born since then Except one, of course, Jesus, Son of God. But every other person, you and I included, are born sinful. We also know from Scripture, the wages of sin is death. And if that sinful nature in us wasn't enough, and it is, we go through life every day heaping sin upon sin upon sin 
upon sin. A brief look at the Ten Commandments is all it takes to know we are not perfect at all. A simple look at the First Commandment is enough to tell us that. You shall have no other gods. Now, I'm sure none of us here have an idol, a golden calf, an image of stone in our home that we bow down to. But that's not the limit of the First Commandment. Anytime we decide for ourselves that our way is better than God's way, we are breaking that First Commandment. We're deciding for ourselves, yep, I'm going to do it my way, not God's way. That's breaking the First Commandment. And, and whether it be coveting or theft or hatred, which Jesus says is the same as murder, or sins against the Sixth Commandment, and how can you turn on the TV these days and be tempted and not be tempted to sin against the Sixth Commandment in some sexual way? We are guilty. And God says in his word that he hates sin. And he is a just God. He demands perfection, and rightfully so. He is a holy God. And so when we read passages that say, the senseless man does not know, the fool does not understand this, when the wicked spring up like weeds and the all, all the evildoers bloom like flowers, they will be destroyed forever. And that does not mean annihilation. It does not mean that the evildoers just simply get to disappear at the end and then there's, there's nothing else. That means eternal destruction in hell. And that's not just fire and brimstone. That means eternal separation from God and all his blessings. And if that makes you afraid, it should. It's nothing that we should think at all lightly about. But that's not where God's word ends, does it? God just doesn't tell us about the dangers and the agonies of hell. And then just says, well, that's all I have to say. You're on your own. Goodbye. Because God deals with the wicked and the righteous. The Apostle Paul says, that is what you were. So how do we get to be the righteous? How do we get to go from wicked to righteous? Is that, is that we... we just decide to obey God's law? Is it, is it that we take a look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, I can live up to those and, and I will earn my way to heaven? No. It's not that. Because when we look at God's law, we see not a way to earn salvation. In fact, we see a mirror shining bright that shows us our sins. We look at ourselves in the, in the view of that and we see even our righteous acts. The things that we think are righteous are like, Filthy rags. The scripture says that as well. And we despair. We say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In fact, we said it earlier in the service during the confession of sins. And in the front of our church, we don't have a symbol of the Ten Commandments, right? The two tablets of the law. But we have the cross. Because it's there on the cross that Jesus has paid that price which we could not. It's there on the cross where Jesus took all of those sins that we committed, and not just 
the 40 or so that are gathered here in this small building in Colorado Springs, but the sins of all people of all time, even those who don't even know Jesus. Even though the, those that we might call the so-called wicked outside of these walls, those that don't even know Jesus, he took those sins upon himself, upon, those cross, upon that cross. And he paid that price that we could not. He lived that perfect life that we could not. And by faith, his righteousness is ours. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, concerning that righteousness that God demands, because God still demands that righteousness, the Apostle Paul says, but now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. A righteousness, not from us, but from God, has been made known. And it's apart from the law. It's not by keeping it. And he goes on, he says, the law and the prophets testify to it. The Old Testament. The law, the, the law of Moses and the prophets. Genesis through Deuteronomy and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus. To all and over all who believe. goes on. In fact, there is no difference because all have sinned <coughs> and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are all declared not guilty by the blood of Christ. The Father looks to the Son and for the sake of the Son declares us not guilty. Oh, we have sinned. It's not as if if God is a doting old grandfather says, oh, well, what are you going to do? I mean, they're kids anyway. I mean, what do you expect? Oh, they're fine. I just kind of, if I had hair, you know, rustles our hair and says, oh, it's all right. No, it's not like that at all. But God looks at Jesus and his righteousness and his blood shed on the cross. Remember, the wages of sin is death and looks to his death the Son of God, and for his sake, looks at us and all who believe in him through faith, says to us, not guilty. And through faith, that benefit is ours. And that faith is ours through the work of the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, we had the benefit of witnessing a baptism where that little child brought to the font and through water and the word of God, the Holy Spirit creating faith in that little child. And every Sunday we have the word of God, the Holy Spirit working through the word, creating and strengthening faith in us. And this Sunday we have the Lord's Supper through the, the bread and the wine, the very the, we receive the body and blood of Christ, and the Holy Spirit working through that sacrament, strengthening that faith in us. That's the faith that clings to the promises of God, which receives those blessings of God. It receives that salvation of God. And then we declare, along with the psalmist, the righteous will shoot up like a palm tree. They will grow tall like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will shoot up in the courtyards of our God. They will still produce fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Yes, they can proclaim the Lord is upright. He is my rock 
and he does no wrong. Yes, the Lord is our rock, and he does no wrong. How deep are your thoughts, very deep. Could we have figured this out on our own? Would we say that this is a fair exchange? That we have done nothing to deserve this? That Christ, the Holy Son of God, has done all that purely out of love for us? And we should reap all the benefits, having done nothing on our own? And if we were to enter into a contract, a contract, a business contract like this, in our earthly life, we would say, well, that's not really quite fair. But that's love. That's God's love for us. How deep are God's thoughts? But since the creation of the world, he decided he would do this. Since, the, since before the creation of the world, he knew a Savior would be sent to save us. And he has done that. So how do we learn about this? And how do others learn about this? Because we know not everybody knows about this. We know there are still plenty of so-called wicked out there. Remember, there's only two types of people in this world. There are the righteous. Thankfully, the Lord has come to us. We didn't go to him. He came to us. Through the water, through the word, through the sacrament of the, of the Lord's Supper. But how do the rest find out about it? Jesus says, Go and gather disciples from all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and by teaching them to keep all the instructions I have given you. Jesus says, Go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Reach out to other people. Where does that start? It starts in the home. Today is Father's Day, a wonderful day when we take a moment and we thank those who have raised us. A couple of months ago, we had an opportunity to thank the mothers that have raised us, and today I'm going to take a moment to talk about fathers. And the Lord talks about the responsibilities that fathers have, and I'd like to take a look at one particular verse in Ephesians that says, "Fathers." Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Where does this all start? It starts in the home. Fathers, do not promote, provoke your children to anger. It's easy to do. But don't do it. Especially in the spiritual realm. It's easy to be the taskmaster. It's easy to take the law of God and, and use it as a, as a hammer. But what does God say? He says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Maybe the role of fatherhood has, has come and, and passed. Maybe the children are grown. Maybe the grandchildren are there. But you know, Judgment Day is not here yet. There's still this time. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Maybe that starts at the dinner table on a Sunday afternoon, talking about the sermon. Maybe that continues on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the week. 
Remember, you and your children, maybe you're in church for an hour or two on Sunday morning, but that's an hour or two during the week. You have the rest of the week with them. Maybe it's children, maybe it's grandchildren, maybe there aren't any children in your lives, but maybe in your lives there's other children that you can touch, maybe you have connection with them. And the Lord also speaks about that. He says in Deuteronomy, Put these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and tie them on your wrists as sign and as symbols on your forehead. You know, some of the Jews took this literally, and they, they would actually take a little Bible verse and put it in a little leather pouch, and they would tie it literally to their wrists, and they would tie it literally to their forehead. But the Lord is speaking figuratively here. He means tie them to their, your wrists. Practice it by what you do with your hands. Tie it to your forehead means, well, what's behind your forehead? Your mind. By what you think. And that controls your actions. And he goes on to say, teach them to your children by talking about them. When you sit in your house and when you travel on the road, when you lie down and when you get up, daytime, nighttime, at the house, on the road, when you're in, when you're out, all the time, here and there and everywhere. Why? Pass that message on to the next generation. Don't let it just be a church thing. Don't let it be just a Sunday school thing. If you put them in parochial school, don't just leave it up to the teachers. Let it be a family thing. Let them see it in what you do. Let them see it in how you act. Let them see it in what you say. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And as I say, we still have time. It's not judgment day yet. We still have opportunity to proclaim the truth of God's word. And it starts in the home. And then the people that we work with. And maybe some of us are beyond retirement. And so it's the people we come in contact with. The people you see every week, maybe you have a routine. Go out and tell them the great news. The great news you know about Jesus. And maybe you said, well, you know, I think I might have burned some of those bridges. You know, I, I think maybe the way I've, I've, I've thought of those people and the way I've, I've acted towards those people, maybe it's, maybe it's too late for that. You know the story of Jonah? I think we all grew up knowing the story of Jonah, you know, the guy and the whale. And I think sometimes our, the story of Jonah for us is kind of ends when Jonah gets, you know, he's, he's sped out of the whale. And that, that's kind of it. We kind of know the story of the, him in the whale, but that's kind of it about Jonah. One of my favorite verses of the book of Jonah is actually after that. It's a very short verse, and it's easy to overlook, but I'm going to just recount the story of Jonah for you really quickly. Jonah was told by God, go to Nineveh and preach to them the word of the Lord. And Jonah said, no. Because Jonah did not like the Ninevites, and, and the Jews did not like the Ninevites, because they were, they were not nice people, the Ninevites. They were enemies of the Jews, and they were what you would consider the wicked. You know, They didn't know the Lord, but the Lord had a plan for them. He wanted them to know about him. And he was going to send Jonah. And Jonah said, no, I'm not going to go up to Nineveh. I'm going to go the other direction. And I'm going to get on a boat. So Jonah got on a boat. And it was a terrible storm. And the, the people on the boat uh, drew lots. And they decided it was because of Jonah. 
And so they threw him overboard, and the, the, the big whale, the big fish came and swallowed him, and it was in the, in the belly of the whale for three days, and then the, 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 um, the fish spat him up on shore. That's usually where our Sunday school lesson ends, right? But then there's chapter 3, verse 1. And, and this verse is really easy to overlook, because it just simply says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's all the verse says. Easy to overlook. But I want to focus on this verse today. I want to, I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about this verse. Because Jonah said the first time, no, not doing it. Not going to Nineveh. That's your plan, Lord, but it's not my plan. And Jonah was very upset with the Ninevites. But notice what God said. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. God wasn't done with Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You see, God wasn't done with Jonah. God didn't say, I'm going to find somebody else. Clearly, Jonah doesn't want to go. I mean, I had to save him with the belly of the whale and all that, and, and it could have acted, ended at chapter 2, and that would have been the end of the book of Jonah. But God said, nope. Jonah coming back to you, and God came to Jonah personally a second time. Why? Because God's plan was to take that message to the Ninevites. And this time Jonah went. He was still angry, and the rest of the book of Jonah shows that you know, Jonah was still angry at the Ninevites. But he did go and preach. And my point is this. It's not Judgment Day yet. And if you think you burned the bridges... Maybe somebody even close to you. Maybe some of you thought, well, I really kind of messed that up talking to them about Jesus. Remember Jonah. Remember the fact that God even went to Jonah a second time. And there's still time to proclaim the word of the Lord. There's still time to go to those that maybe don't know about Jesus, to tell them about their Savior, to tell them that they have a loving God, who has died upon the cross, even for them, yes, for them, and who has saved them. And as you proclaim the word of God to them, the Holy Spirit works through the word and creates faith in their hearts. And remember what Jesus said in the, in the gospel. It's like a man sowing seed. He goes out, he sows seed, and he doesn't think about it. It means he doesn't go and he worries about it, what's going to happen. He goes out and he sows the seed. He goes home and he goes to bed. And day and night that seed grows, because it's God that gives the growth. And we're out there sowing the seed. Go back. Go talk to them. It's not judgment day yet. God will deal with the righteous and the wicked. God will deal with the wicked very harshly. Those that don't know Jesus, the psalm tells, talks about that. He says they will be destroyed forever. But there is still time. Go out and preach the word. Go out and tell others about Jesus. So that at the end, on Judgment Day, more and more may be gathered into the glorious paradise of heaven. And that we all may gather together and say, 
The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and he does no wrong. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.